This conference is part one of a two-part series. What follows is message four of five of the Fall 2013 College Conference, recorded Saturday, October 19, 2013 in Latham Springs, Texas. Conference title is, Life and Building Revealed in the Gospel of John, Part 1. Message title is, The Need of the Hungry, Life's Feeding. Okay, very good. We are on the message number four, which is The Need of the Hungry. This, okay, you're adjusting this mic here. Is it about right? The volume? Too loud? Okay, good. Louder, okay. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> this book of John is a wonderful book, and uh, as we saw this afternoon, a little overview. It's very interesting to me that uh, in the first message, we saw, we saw the uh, bridge of time, if you remember. And that's kind of an overview of chapter 1. <clears throat> and uh, remember the stations and the bridge of time, there was, uh, and this is all based on chapter 1. There's creation, and then that's based on what, verse 4, verse 3 maybe, or, yeah, verse 3. All things came into being through him, yep. And then uh, the next uh, stage on the bridge of time is incarnation, and you know the verse there? Verse 14, the word became flesh. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, okay? Then verse 3, all things came into being through him, so that's creation. Then verse 14, and the Word became flesh, that's incarnation. That's the second stage on the bridge of time. And then the third stage on the bridge of time is redemption. And what verse is that? It's 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, redemption. And remember, uh, Neil told us we shouldn't get stuck on any of the stations of the bridge of time. Like, some people are, oh, well, we all love creation. I love creation. I love to, you know, look at things and all that. But, uh, you know, we're not stuck there. Neither are we stuck uh, just in admiring the incarnation, which is a wonderful thing. And that, you know, uh, that's what Christmas is supposed to be about, I guess. But anyway, neither are we... Uh, just stuck with redemption, although redemption is a tremendous matter. Of course, we love the redemption of Christ. We love, we love the incarnation of Christ, and we love God's creation. But the next point is verse, what, 34? 32? Okay. And that is the coming of the Spirit. That's the anointing of the Spirit. So after redemption, then the Spirit comes. And then, I think the last point is verse 51... And that is when, we, when uh, uh, the Lord tells Nathaniel, you'll see something greater than me just knowing about you. You'll see uh, the Son of Man. You'll see a ladder. And this is the angels of God descending upon the Son of Man, which connects heaven to earth. And, of course, this is the house of God. So you have this bridge of time bringing us from eternity past. In the beginning was the Word. And that's the eternal beginning. You know, they have a Bible called the Chronological Bible. Has anybody ever seen the Chronological Bible? You ever seen that? Yeah. It's a Bible where the, uh, the editors, they determine, according to their concept, and it's not bad, uh, what they think cr- happened chronologically first. So actually, the first verse in the Chronological Bible is not Genesis 1-1, it's John 1-1. 
Because John 1.1 is the eternal beginning. In the beginning was the word. Genesis 1 was, in the beginning God created. That's in the beginning of God's creation. But the eternal beginning is even before that. But this bridge of time, as Neil shared with us, goes all the way into eternity future. And that's where the Lord tells Nathaniel, you'll see something so great. And that is, you'll see the, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You may think, well, what, how, what, how does this relate? But this relates to a vision that Jacob had that's recorded in Genesis 28. And that is when he was running away from his brother Laban. He was in the wilderness and he was sleeping out in the wilderness. And he has this dream or this vision. And there he sees a ladder which is set up connecting heaven to earth and the angels of God ascending and descending upon this ladder. And when he wakes up from this dream, he says, as Neil shared with us last night, he says, this is a dreadful or an awesome place. This is none other than the house of God. Okay? So this is connection. Jesus is making this connection with Jacob's dream in Genesis 28 that he actually is the connecting point between heaven and earth. The Lord Jesus Christ is. And actually, he and his increase, which we saw last night, also Neo showed us, is really the house of God. So you have from eternity past, through creation, incarnation, redemption, the coming of the Spirit, and eventually into eternity future, which is the new Jerusalem, the eternal house of God. Okay, this is the beginning of the Gospel of John. Then we saw, uh, and you shared about this this morning. Uh, you shared, I really enjoy the sharing so much. Uh, you shared about the principle of life in chapter 2 and the purpose of life. Now remember, the principle of life is to what? To change death into life. Right? You, got, you got into that. And the purpose of life is to what? To build the house of God. And you see these in John chapter 2. There's something very interesting I'll tell you. You know, there are four Gospels. And three of the Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And these were written, the first Gospel, actually the first book of the New Testament, that was in written form was probably the Gospel of Matthew, and that's written maybe 40 or 45 A.D. And then Mark... Uh, and Luke comes later, maybe in the 60s or something like that. John is the last gospel to be written, and he's actually the last writer of the New Testament. And John writes in around 90 or 95. So his gospel and his epistles are at the conclusion. John's gospel is not considered synoptic. And what does that mean? In other words, the events in John's gospel don't follow a definite chronological pattern. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can follow the sequence pretty much together. There's a sequence, there's a sequence that corresponds. They go together time-wise. So, of course, some of these, you know, Matthew records some things that Mark doesn't, and Mark records some things that Luke doesn't, but still the sequence is basically chronological. You know, something interesting about John chapter 2. Remember we said John 2 shows us the principle of life, which is to change death into life. 
And then at the end of chapter 2, you come to that story about, remember, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, comes into the temple, and in the temple there's, you know, they're selling and all this kind of stuff is going on. And he turns over the tables, remember, and he makes a little cord uh, and whips things. And then he says uh, <clears throat> that if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. You know that actually this occurred at the end of the life of the Lord, not at the beginning. So it's out of sequence in John. The sequence is not chronological in John. Why did John put it there? He put it there for exactly what we're talking about. And that is he wants to show John is showing life. Carrie, how many times was life mentioned? 35 times? 35 times in John's gospel, life is mentioned. In the other three gospels, it's what? Less than 15 in all three. So the emphasis in John's gospel is life. And of course, this word is zoe. There are three words in the Greek language that are used, that we translate life. There is bios, where we get our word biology. And that means physical life. And there's physical life. I mean, trees have physical life. Animals have physical life. Then there's another Greek word that is suke. And this, we, trans we, you know, come, our word psychology comes from this Greek word, suke. And that means the psychological life. And you wouldn't say a tree doesn't have psychological life, right? But a dog does. If you have a dog, he has, that dog has a mind, right? And that dog has emotion. I have a little dog. And uh, my dog has a mind. He's got an emotion. He gets happy sometimes. He has a will. You know, he wants to do things, jump up and get food and stuff like this. He makes decisions. But, of course, we know that no animal <clears throat> has a spirit. And this uniquely sets man. Well, we're, we're set apart from the animals for, because our life is higher. It's more sophisticated. Our mind is more developed. But one thing that really sets us apart is that, of course, man is created in God's image. But also, no animal. There's no indication that animals have any God consciousness. Have you ever seen a dog worshipping an idol? Have you ever seen a cat worshipping an idol? But you go around the world. Tim and I and Carrie, we were just over in Bangkok, Thailand... And there, that country has 95% Buddhist and about 4% Muslim and 1% other. And so the other includes Christian. But anyway, people are worshiping. There are temples everywhere. There are 35,000 temples in Thailand. 35,000. So people all over the world, you go to India, you go to Asia, to Africa, whatever, various kinds of religions, there is in mankind a God-seeking, a God-consciousness, a desire to worship God, to know God, to please God, to have and various thoughts about what, you know, who and, who and what God is. But man, of course, has this unique desire for God because man on one hand, is in the image of God, and we have this deeper part, carried your diagram, of the three parts of man, our body, physical, our soul, psychological, and our spirit, 
is the part of our being that's hungry for God. And no matter how much you get in education or how much money you get, these are all these uh, kinds of water that we drink. And you know, Carrie, as you were sharing, I was thinking of something. And that is, you know, if you, by the way, if you're ever on a, on a lifeboat out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, don't drink the water. You know why? Because it has salt in it and actually it, may, it dehydrates you or something like that, right? It actually takes the water out of your system. So, uh, it's, and it's the same way with the water of this world. You know, the Lord told that woman, whoever drinks of this water, and he's talking about the water that was from the earth. He said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. Actually, it's true. The more we drink of the worldly water, the more it creates our thirst and causes our thirst to increase. The more we drink of Christ, the more our thirst is satisfied. Okay, so this is man. Man has a spirit. How did I get on this topic? I don't know. Uh, Where am I? Man has a spirit. Hallelujah. Life's principle and life's purpose. So the sequence in the Gospel of John is unique because John was showing life's principle is to change death to life. And then he puts in something that's going to happen at the end of the life of Jesus Christ. And that was when he came back to Jerusalem that last time. That's when he turned the tables upside down. That's when he used the cords. And that actually is what stirred up, or part of the reason, and it may be the final straw, that stirred up the religious people to crucify him. But John puts it at the beginning. Because John is writing from the perspective of life. And he's showing the principle of life, and then he's showing the purpose of this divine life, which is to build the house of God. Can you believe? Wow, what an incredible gospel. He had the boldness to put that event at the end of Jesus' life right in chapter 2 because he was showing the principle and the purpose of life. And then you have, then that's, that's kind of the introduction to John. Then we begin with chapter 3, which begin these cases that Carrie referred to. And we have all these cases, the need of these various kinds of people, right? The need, the first one was the need of the what? The moral. And that's Nicodemus. Remember, he was a moral, older man. And he, was, he came to Jesus mainly just to get some more teachings. Because he thought, you know, he was all about teaching. But, of course, the Lord right away just cut right to the chase and said, you need to be born anew. You need another birth. And then he later revealed, actually, even if you're good, really, you're just a snake. So don't, don't be impressed too much with good people, because in their nature, they're still snakes. They're a cultured snake. There uh, maybe uh, they still have fangs that will come out though at certain times, but uh, but and, and and then the end of chapter three you have the bride of Christ. So again you have this first uh, experience of life which is regeneration, and then the end of chapter three again you have the purpose of life which is the bride of Christ, the house of God, the body of Christ. Okay, then uh, we saw the need of the immoral. This afternoon, and that very much a contrast to that woman, to that man, the woman, he was good, she was bad, all this stuff. 
But whether you're good or you're bad, you still need the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have another case. And then the next case was what? The need of the dying. We didn't, did we cover that? We didn't cover that. A little bit, yeah. A little bit today, the need of the dying. And then what we didn't cover, though, is the case in John chapter 5. And we don't have time to do that one. Will we do it next time? The impotent? There's another story in John chapter 5, which is a very interesting one. And that's the story of an impotent man. And we didn't, we won't have time to cover it. Uh, That's in chapter 5. Okay, and that's a man who basically, he's paralyzed, and he's trying to do some religious things to get better, but he doesn't have the strength to do it. So it's a, you ever heard of uh, Catch-22? You know what Catch-22 is? You know, is that, a, is that an old term or what? Catch-22? That means there's a requirement, but you can't do it. <laughs> you never heard the term Catch-22? Okay. If you've taken English, you probably read that book. Catcher in the Rye, I think. Okay, now we come to chapter 6. And uh, by the way, I want to tell you something. As I was listening to your speaking this morning in the group I was in, and the, how the saints were speaking in a wonderful way about the principle of life and the purpose of life, and my goodness, I was just your speaking was, I mean, the group I was in was just great. And I really appreciate, actually, the, the improvement in our format because... Uh, this is really an improvement. I thought about something. And that is, one time I was in Greece, and I was walking in Athens, and of course, you know, that's where all the philosophers, you know, the Greeks, and they had all these little refrigerator magnets with quotes from these Greek philosophers. I can't even remember the names of these. All the Greek philosophers, Demonstrates and Pythagoras, and who else? Uh, Socrates, yeah, of course, Socrates. Plato. Okay, but anyway, the first work, I think, in uh, Western literature may be uh, the Iliad, is that right? By Homer? Is it the Iliad? In the Iliad and the Odyssey? By Homer? Okay, Homer was not a philosopher, he was a writer, and he was Greek, and he wrote about the Trojan War, but Homer said something, and I saw it on this little refrigerator mag, and I bought it, and it's on my, my refrigerator at home. And listen to what Homer said. Homer is like the man who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, right? And he's this, like, beginning of Western writings and everything. He said this, the word you hear is the word you speak. And you think about that. The word you hear is the word you speak. And when we began this last night, Neil, or Tim, one, told us, we hope that this conference, everyone would be a speaker. Because the word you hear the most will be the word you speak. I guarantee you, what you go home and share about is going to be the word you spoke. Because that's what we hear. We hear more than anything else, we hear what we speak. So there's really a profit to this format. And that is to get into these things, to speak it in little groups, and to re-speak it in clusters, and then to re-speak it again in companies, right? Those are the three, the three things. So I thought about this. This is a great principle, speaking the things we hear. Okay, so tonight we're going to go on to the, uh, this message on the need of the hungry, and this is in John chapter 6. This is a wonderful chapter. And Roman number 1 says, The hungry world and the feeding Christ. Okay, we're going to read through these verses. Uh, 
and I'll just comment as we go. And I'll, it's good to look, to look at it either in your Bible or on this sheet here because uh, if you see the word of the Bible as well as hear it, it has a greater impact on you. Uh, I have to be convinced myself that what I speak and what I listen to is based on the word of God. If I don't have that convincing in, in my conscience, I don't have the boldness and I don't have the confidence in what I speak because our, the rock of our salvation and the rock of our faith is the word of God. So I encourage you as we share and as the brothers share, look at the words, look at the scriptures. And yes, the brothers are expounding these things, and that's good, that's normal. That's a long tradition in Christian history of expounding the word. But you have to see that what is spoken is matching the word of God. And this bears witness with your conscience. Okay? So here we are in John 6. And so it begins in this way. After these things, Jesus went away across the Sea of Galilee. Of course, the Sea of Galilee is not really a sea. It's a big lake. And it's also called, well, here it says, which is the Sea of Tiberias. It's also called the Lake of Gennesaret or something like that. It's a big lake. Some of, recently we had a, a church trip, actually, with the saints in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City and Norman. And uh, we went to Israel on our church trip. Not a bad church trip. But uh, we were there, and of course, you, a lot of it, you go around the Sea of Galilee, because so much of the Lord's ministry is around the Sea of Galilee. And these little towns around the Sea of Galilee. Of course, he was in Jerusalem, too. But Jerusalem, he didn't go there that much. And Nazareth is not too far from Galilee. But as we get into these verses, you'll notice, and you, if you read the scriptures, the Gospels, you'll come across uh, the name of a town, and if you've been to Israel, you can identify with this, or you know about this, and that is Capernaum. And that is probably, they think, where after the Lord left Nazareth, that he kind of made Capernaum his kind of sort of hometown. You know that? Yeah, I didn't know that before I was over there. Uh, but if you, when you study the scriptures, keep this in your head, and you'll see Capernaum a lot. And he, that's where Peter's mother was. A lot of things happened there. And actually, these words in John chapter 6 that the Lord is going to speak and we'll get to transpired. He spoke these things around the Sea of Galilee and eventually uh, the heart of this message was spoken there in Capernaum. In a synagogue, it says, in Capernaum. We're jumping ahead. Okay, verse 2 says, And a great crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he did on those who were sick. Of course, Jesus had done a lot of signs and healed people, and he even healed somebody in John chapter 5. And, you know, Paul said, and Paul was a Jew, Paul said the, the Jews seek signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. Jews, apparently, are very impressed with signs. I guess a lot of people are impressed with signs. But the Lord wouldn't commit himself to people that were just impressed by miracles. And this is actually also in the Gospel of John. But anyway, they were following him because he'd done these miracles, and they were impressed with him, obviously. And then verse 3 says, And Jesus went up to the mountain and sat there with his disciples. And this is, again, exactly where it is. It's hard to say, but they have some thought about it. It's around the Sea of Galilee, and somewhere probably around Tiberias, 
which is on the Sea of Galilee. There he was, in a, and they're, they're kind of mountains or big hills there. And so he was there with his disciples, <clears throat> and these crowds were there. And verse 4 says, Now the Passover of the Feast of the Jews was near. So it was close to the Passover. And of course the Passover is a gigantic holiday in the Jewish world and has been since Exodus when they had the first Passover. And the Lord told the Jews, you've got to do the Passover. And it was about the time of the Passover. And one of the things, of course, in the Passover is there is the, uh, the remembrance that they had killed the lamb and they had the blood of the lamb, and they painted the doorpost with the blood of the lamb. But also, a part of the Passover is that they ate the lamb. Okay? They're not just, not just the blood. They were, in, they were required to roast that lamb in fire and then to eat that lamb so they would have strength to get out of Egypt. The death angel passed them over, and then they would eat the lamb to be strengthened to get out. And so then the children of Israel in Exodus began their journey that very night when the Passover occurred, and they began leaving Egypt. Of course, they came to the, the, uh, the Red Sea, not the Dead Sea, but the Red Sea, and there they were between a rock and a hard place because there the Red Sea was there, and the Pharaoh starts chasing them. And then, of course, God told Moses, you have to go through it. And so the Lord opened up the Red Sea, they went through it, and the children of the uh, Egyptians followed them, and then the water closed up and the Egyptians were killed. And that really separated the children of Israel from Egypt. They had experienced salvation in Egypt, and they had eaten the lamb in Egypt, and they had begun to leave Egypt, but Egypt didn't want to let them go. Pharaoh went after them. But when they went through that water of the Red Sea, that was a big separation. And so I would say to you who were baptized uh, today, this evening, this is a great, great matter. And I am so happy that you had the faith to go through the water. Uh, because I was, I'll never forget my baptism. I always tell this story. Uh, I actually got born again uh, when I was a student. And I was really born again. I mean, you couldn't tell me I wasn't born again. I was born again, and there were changes that happened in my life. Some of my attitudes changed, some of my feelings changed, a lot of the way I saw the world changed. But I had no thought of baptism. I wasn't raised, I mean, Neil was raised Jewish. I wasn't raised Jewish. I have a little bit of Jewish blood, but we were just raised secular. So we were just secular people. Uh, good people, but secular people. No thought of the Bible, no thought of God. He just wasn't any place in our life. It was, I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure we had a Bible in the house. Everybody has a Bible, like a dictionary. You know, it was just, you just have it on the shelf somewhere. I don't remember ever opening the Bible. Okay, so after I was saved, uh, I didn't have any thought of baptism. I mean, it was like, okay, I'm a Christian, praise the Lord. But then I came into this fellowship with the saints here, just like we're here, but it was a little smaller than this, and it was in Houston in 1970, and I heard about this matter of baptism, and I, was, I saw it in the scriptures, that there is this matter of faith, and there's also this 
matter of baptism, and it was shown to me in the, the Word and, and by some you know, people helping me with the, what the word in Greek means, that is an immersion. It's, a, it's a put it, being put to death. It's a burying of your old life. It's a terminating. And the type of the Red Sea and Pharaoh was chasing after the, uh, the Israelites and they were there and he was going to catch them and bring them back. And I realized this is a serious matter. I need to pass through the Red Sea. And yet I didn't want to pass through the Red Sea. And I've, I've told this story before. I remember I was in a meeting. We, there's only about 100 people in that meeting. But uh, I, I remember that I stood up at the end of the meeting because the Lord was dealing with me. I mean, I was in this wrestling match. I was like I was wrestling a bear. He was, the Lord was, you've got to be baptized. You've got to be baptized. And no, I don't want to be baptized. And what are my friends going to think? What's my family going to think? No, nobody's ever been baptized in my whole family. I mean, this is just completely radical. But the Lord was just on me, and I saw it in the Word. And so I remember at the end of this meeting, I stood up, and I said, and I remember exactly what I said. And it was not, I want to be baptized. That's not what I said. I said, I need to be baptized. Because I was being precise. And I didn't want to be baptized. (laughs) But I know that I needed to be baptized. And so when I said that, of course, I was a student. I was a, a senior by that time at LSU. And, of course, all the saints in the meeting hall there in Houston, they were all excited. Hey, praise the Lord, you know, uh, this, this kid from Baton Rouge, he, he's going to be baptized. But I was like, at that point, you've got to listen to the whole story, but at that point, I, I still wasn't joyful because I was going to the gallows. This is it. I mean, this is it, the end of my life. I'm dead. I'm finished. There, I'm going to be buried my friends, my future, my family, my everything in, in, you know, Baton Rouge, where I was from, it's all over. But I know, Lord, you want me to do this. So I'll just, they changed clothes, and I'll go, and we had this pit in the ground. They had this pit there in Houston. And uh, again, the saints, you know, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And there's this, this kid, I had this big beard and everything. There's this kid, and again, I'm just dying. And so they dunked me in the water, but I remember when I came up out of the water, I had this sense of release, and I said, hallelujah. <laughs> and of course, then the saints, they all entered into the joy. And anyways, so I'll tell you, baptism is a, not a small thing. It's, I, can, I can identify so much, and I know probably maybe some of you are still struggling with it. But anyways, there's still time if you want to do it tomorrow. Okay. Okay, now. Verse 5, Jesus in lifting up his eyes and seeing, this is verse 5, that a great crowd was coming toward him, he said to Philip, this is that same Philip in chapter 1 who went to Nathanael, he said, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Verse 6, but this he said to test him. He was testing Philip. For he, that's Jesus himself, knew what he was about to do. He was going to do something, but he was testing Philip. How are we going to feed all these people? We've got to buy bread. This was a test. Jesus was testing him. Philip answered and said, 200 denarii, verse 7, of bread is not sufficient for them, that each may take a little. There was 
as we know later, there's 5,000 men that were there in this crowd. 5,000 men. They didn't count the women and the children. So how many women and children were there? Maybe another 5,000. Maybe more. I don't know. So who knows how many? Seven, eight, nine, maybe 10,000 people there. That was a giant crowd. How are they going to eat? Okay. So one of his disciples, Andrew, this is Simon Peter's brother. We read about him in John chapter 1. Said to him, that's saying to the Lord, there is a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Okay, here there's thousands of people. And, but uh, Andrew says, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many? And Jesus said, have the people recline. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men reclined in number about 5,000. Again, this doesn't count the women and the children. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to those who were reclining, likewise also of fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather the broken pieces left over, that nothing may be lost, so they gathered them and filled 12 hand baskets. There were only five loads, but now there are 12 baskets of leftovers with broken pieces from the five barley loads which were left over among those who had eaten. The people, therefore, seeing the sign, thousands of people saw this, how exactly did it happen? It doesn't really say. They're just five loads and two fish. The Lord looks up to heaven and he gives thanks And somehow there's this multiplication of the loaves and the fish and people eat as much as they want and then there's there's 12 baskets left over. So verse 14 says, The people therefore seeing the sign, which he did, said, This is truly the prophet. The people were excited. Of course they had seen miracles and now they see the feeding. He's feeding them. And they were excited. They said, This is the prophet who's coming to the world. Then Jesus, knowing that they were about, listen to this, this, they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Didn't he come to be a king? Not in that way. Okay, this is altogether the natural thought. And the people were excited because Jesus had fed them. And maybe in America, unfortunately, we take things for granted a lot. But a lot, of the, a lot of places in the world, people are... The next meal is not a small thing. And for these people to have Jesus feed them in such a way, they were excited. And they thought, this... I vote for him. <laughs> this is the guy I want in power right here. Because we get, we get bread, all we want, fish and bread. So we're going to make him our king. But their concept of king was this kind of outward thing. And listen to what Jesus did. It's incredible. So Jesus, knowing that they were about to come, you've got to look at this first with your eyes, and take him by force to make him king, what did he do? We would think he would 
I mean, you know, the natural, I mean, if you're a politician today, you know, people are, oh, we want Tim C. to be our king. It's a Tim, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much, you know. Thank you. Uh, I don't deserve it, but I'll take the job. <laughs> Whatever. But Jesus, he knew they were going to make him king, so what does he do? It says, he withdrew again to a mountain himself alone. He left. He didn't want to be, he didn't come to be that kind of king. He's a king, but he's not that kind of king. He's not that kind of outward king. He's the king who rules us from within. But he's not interested in that kind of outward thing. Saints, this is an incredible thing. Because how does the Lord feed? And we'll see as we unfold this message. But what we must realize, and what is so sweet, and what is so precious about this portion, is that although our Lord is so great, the very God of the universe, <coughs> who was incarnated to be a man, who lived this perfect life, and who healed, and who spoke words of wisdom, and who could multiply the bread, and the fish, and all this stuff, When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, he told the Philippians, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was in the glory of the Trinity, in that majestic, glorious realm which we can't even understand or describe, yet he emptied himself, becoming a man, not just a man, but a lowly man, a little man, a man born in uh, Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth, uh, who we don't know much about for most of his life until he's about 30 years old. He humbled himself, and he was obedient even to death, and that the death of a cross. He said, let this mind be in you. We have to understand about the Lord, and that is, he feeds us, and we feed others, and uh, the Lord's principle is not outward greatness, but it is smallness. It's smallness. Because they wanted to make him someone great, and he fled away from that. And let me tell you, the temptation of the devil is always to try and make people great. But that is a snare of the devil. The Lord emptied himself of all of that. And rather, he became a little person. A in a sense, a very small person. And that's why it says, you know, every word of Scripture is inspired of God. It, who brought the two fish and the five loaves? A boy? A little boy. A little boy. These kind of little words in Scripture underline and emphasize something. And that is, the Lord does things. He feeds us, and he feeds us through the agency of those who are willing to, to be small. Because Paul tells the Philippians, let this mind be in you. To be great in that kind of outward way, like a king, is a temptation of the devil. The Lord resisted it. You look at the next verse, and that's Matthew 14, 23. You know, this story in John 6 is also in Matthew. And in Matthew it says, after he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain privately to pray. When night fell, he was there alone. So the Lord didn't give in to that temptation to be outwardly great. Rather, he went alone. 
Okay. So, this continued. I'll come back and pick this up. So Roman numeral two says, a revolutionary change in concept from doing to eating. Okay, let's just continue. Uh, we're skipping a few verses in Matthew uh, and John, and that is we're skipping verses 16 through 23. We're jumping from verse 15, if you'll see, at the end of Roman 1 to verse 24 at the beginning of Roman 2. Okay, we'll come back and just say something briefly about what's in between. Okay, well, I'm going to say it right now. Actually, what happened is the Lord went alone, and then the disciples are taking a boat, or some boats, or a boat, from Capernaum, from uh, Tiberias to Capernaum. And this is, if you know the, how the Sea of Galilee is, anyway, it's kind of uh, a distance. Not too bad, but it's a distance. And for the, in those days, it was quite a distance, I guess. And so they're taking this boat, and he has told them to go ahead by boat. Well, let me read it here in John 6. It says, uh, and when evening fell, the disciples went down to the sea and they got into a boat and they began crossing the sea to Capernaum. They were leaving basically around Tiberias and it had already become dark and Jesus had not yet come with them. And then so the disciples are crossing a boat going to Capernaum where he had instructed them to go, but he was not with them. And then there's this storm that comes on the Sea of Galilee and when they had rowed, verse 19, about 25 or 30 stadia, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Of course, you know, this is, people talk about this, Jesus walking on the sea, and coming near the boat, and they became frightened. And he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were coming. Just a little insert here, because this is just kind of an insert. But it's interesting. Actually, we have a gospel track about this. And I remember I was very touched uh, many years ago when I first... Uh, read these verses and had them a little bit explained to me that uh, of course our main topic tonight is on the feeding with just a little insert and that is life is a journey okay we're all on this journey in a sense we're all crossing the sea every one of us is crossing the sea just our human life and the problem is that as we cross this sea there are waves, and there is wind, and there's problems, and there's a storm. Just like these disciples were in this boat going from Tiberias to Capernaum, and they didn't have Jesus with them. They were crossing themselves. And then the storm came up, and so they were being tossed about in this boat. And then they saw Jesus coming and they invited him into their boat, okay? Now, here is the application. We just would make very briefly then go on back to our main topic. And that is, saints, life is a, full of storms. And we're all on a journey. We're all in a boat. Whether it's the university, our school, our family, our job, our finances, our health... Uh, whatever, there's this lots of storms, and you're going to have many more storms ahead of you. I assure you, there are more storms ahead. And sometimes we feel like this boat is going to capsize. us. There's winds blowing, there's waves tossing, and here I am trying to manage this boat, and let me tell you what you need to do. 
and what we need to remember all of our life, and that is what they did. Let Jesus into your boat. Let him into that situation. Whatever that situation may be, there are storms in that situation. But we have to open our heart and open to the Lord and tell the Lord, come into this situation. Come into this family problem. Come into this uh, roommate problem. Come into my marriage problem. Come into my school problem. Come into this storm that I'm in. I'm in a storm. The only thing, and it's interesting, when they let the Lord into the boat, it says, immediately the boat was at land. So the only way we can, we can navigate this life that we have is in every situation, don't navigate it by yourself. Rather, ask the Lord, Lord, come into this situation. I cannot navigate this. The, the waves and the winds are tossing me, and I don't know what to do. Please come into my boat. This is how there, there is a measure and an increasing measure of stability. Every day we need to say, Lord, today, what will this day bring? I don't know the storms. I don't know the winds. But right now I ask you, even begin this day, come with me in the boat. I don't want to navigate this sea without you. And if we find ourselves navigating it, we must allow him to come into the boat. Okay, now that's just a little parenthesis. Because you go back to the story and your Roman numeral... Now they have crossed from Tiberias, and now they're in Capernaum. Okay, it's not that far, but they had crossed this kind of a part of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, so verse 24 continues, and under Roman numeral 2, we have this application to what we really need to see tonight, and that is we need a change of our concept, and this change is from doing to eating. Because John chapter 6 is about eating Christ as the bread of life. And it begins with this miracle. He multiplies the loaves, he multiplies the fish, and uh, this has lots of significance. And he feeds the people. And of course he, even the Lord himself, even though he was God in man, yet he looked up to heaven and he prayed, that means that even he considered as a man, I'm not the source. All blessing comes from God. All supply comes from God. So the Lord is a real man. He lifted up his eyes. He looked to heaven. He prayed, and, and, and Matthew mentions this, I think, and that uh, God supplied. Let me tell you, you know, we're talking today, the brothers were sharing with us about the gospel, and you... Young saints sharing to your friends and your what is it relatives and then friends and then classmates and then people around you. And you may think, oh, the problem is I have nothing. I just have almost nothing. I can't meet the need of these people. I mean, my goodness, I barely know anything. Okay, you're like that little boy with two fish and five loaves and... 10,000 people to feed. And you say, I can't do this. I tell you, you just lift up your eyes to heaven and you pray, Lord, I can't do it. I can't be it. I can't bear it. I can't do anything. But Lord, I give you my little two fish and my little five loaves, a little boy. And 
You know, you'll be surprised what you can do to take care of others, to feed others, to bring others to Christ. And again, I'm a poster child for students leading students to Christ because I was led to Christ by a student. I wasn't led to Christ by a worker. I was so arrogant and so uh, negative to Christianity and to the Christian faith that I wouldn't listen to any preachers or any campus workers. No way. I wouldn't give them the time of day. But I liked my friends. And it just so happened, under God's sovereignty and mercy, a couple of them, I'd even say maybe three, or maybe even four, were Christians. And these friends of mine, and they weren't, you know, they weren't angels. They were just people, but they had Christ. They didn't talk about Christ night and day, but they had Christ. And at the right time, it came up every now and then. And they realized that I was like the black hole of the universe. (laughs) Just sucking in all light and hope and everything going into the abyss. And so they realized, this guy needs prayer. (laughs) He needs prayer. But I mean, how could they even have the faith to pray for a person like me? I don't know. I don't have that kind of faith. But maybe because they didn't know better, they prayed for me. And at the right time, under a few occasions, because of their prayers, I believe, and because of God's mercy, uh, at the right time, studying for a test. (laughs) Studying for a final examination. You know, you just start chatting, drinking coffee to stay up late. So here we are, and next thing we know, this guy is sharing Christ with me. How did it happen? I don't know how he got into the topic. I don't know how it unfolded. I do know that some people were praying for me, and I do know that he shared with me, and for some reason, that night, it Okay, so again, I'm a poster child for students sharing with their friends because I was brought to Christ not by a worker, not by a campus worker, not by Tim C., not by Kerry Ard, as good as they are, these other guys. No, by a student, by a student. And he was just one of my buddies. And so he brought me to Christ. But anyway, it's wonderful. Okay, so... Uh, Verse 20, back to 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats, and they came to Capernaum. There they are, in the hometown of Jesus. Keep your, uh, keep your eyes out for that when you read your Gospels. And they found him on the other side of the sea. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, that means not Tiberias, but in Capernaum. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus, an- he didn't really answer their question. Uh... He said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you've seen time, but because you ate the bread and are filled. In other words, you want me to be your king in that way, so you're looking for food, outwardly. Food, bread, that kind of food. But the Lord is going to tell them, that is not what you, you need. Yeah, you need food, but that's not the real food. You need the real food. So he goes on, he says this. Listen, this is a part of the change, it says in Roman numeral 2, a revolutionary change from doing to eating. Here the Lord is introducing this giant change of thought. He says, work not for the food which perishes, 
But for the food which abides unto eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for him has the Father, even, see, even God, sealed. Continue. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? So this is a mentality of humanity, and especially the Jews, but not just the Jews, all humanity. Consider, what can I do? How can I work to get God's pleasure, to feed myself spiritually, to have eternal life. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to work. What can we work? What can we do? And then Jesus said, answered and said to them, verse 29, this is the work of God. You want to do the work of God? Here's the work of God. That you believe into him whom he has sent. How do, how does the Lord feed us? How does man do the work of God? What do we do to please God? We believe into the Son of God. This is the work of God. Doing. We have a song in our hymn book, which many of us have this hymn book. We sing it in the meetings. And there's a song. I want you to look at this sometime. It's song, hymn number 1002. And I love this song. Because I am the worst, this is my innate being, and it, in the chorus of this song, it says this, doing is a deadly thing. Now think about that. Doing is a deadly thing? Yes, doing is a deadly thing. The work of God is not that we do. It's not that we work in that way. Remember, even in the beginning of the Bible, you have the story in chapter 4 of Genesis of the second generation of mankind. That's Cain and Abel. These are the sons of Adam and Eve. And right there in Genesis chapter 4, you have a tragic story. And that is one of these sons was trying to do something to please God according to his own concept. And his name was Cain. And if you remember the story and go back and read it, what Cain did, and he did it for God. He was trying to please God. He was trying to worship God. But he did it according to his concept, and God rejected it. And then his brother Abel was worshiping God in God's way, and God accepted it. If you go back and read Genesis 4, you may consider this is arbitrary. This is unfair. But actually, this is a principle that is crucial in our whole Christian life. And that is, we must take God's way. And God's way is not through our doing, but through our believing into Christ. Okay? And this actually is how we're fed. So continue on here. The work of God is to believe, under point A, to believe into his son by receiving him as life and the life supply. John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them he gave authority to become the children of God to those who believe into his name. If you read this verse carefully, you'll see that it begins saying as many as received him, and it ends saying those who believe. So you must understand that in the New Testament, believing equal receiving. Just to believe in an objective way, as Neil mentioned last night, so we believe that George Washington was first president. We believe that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president. We believe Neil Armstrong was the first man on the moon. Most people believe that. I believe it. Uh, 
But anyway, some people think it took place in Arizona. But uh, no, no. Anyway, we believe that. But with Jesus Christ, we don't just believe that he was such a man. We, we receive him. Our believing is into him. And when we believe into him, we receive him. So this verse is a wonderful verse. John 1.12. It connects believing with receiving. Okay? Because we believe into him and we receive him. And this is the work of God. And this is how we begin our Christian life. And this is actually how we continue our Christian life. Okay, then 647 says, Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. How do we get eternal life? Believing into Christ. Okay, then B says, jump on down, eating Jesus to have life and to live by Christ. John 6:57. Now this is the same dialogue. We're in John chapter 6, and now we're in verse 50, I'm sorry, 53. And here the Lord has done this miracle. He's multiplied the loaves. He's multiplied the fish. Uh, he's done a marvelous miracle. He left Tiberias. He goes to Capernaum. And now, remember, he had fled from them when they wanted to make him king. He goes up to a mountain. He's praying alone. What is he praying? We don't know what he's praying. But we think, maybe, speculation, he may have been praying that the people would really see the, the deeper spiritual significance, not just physical food, not just eating some bread to extend their life a little bit, but to see that Christ is the real bread of life. So probably, probably this at least is what he prayed about in part. He prayed, Lord, God, you must show the people that, that man does not live by bread, physical bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You must show these people that they need to eat the real bread from heaven, and that is Christ. Something like that. Okay, so he says now, in, later in John 6, he says, Therefore, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within yourselves. Earlier, he's been talking about, I am the bread of life. Your fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness. They ate the physical bread that God gave from heaven. But they died. But now I have come down from heaven, and I am the real bread of life. And you must eat me. And not only eat my flesh, even he introduces another thought. You must drink his blood. That was a hard thing for these Jews to hear. Because it was forbidden to drink the blood of any animal much less the blood of a man. This was so hard. What is he talking about? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within yourselves. Okay, we'll see. But remember, the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, God fed them with bread that came out of heaven. Okay? And they ate that physical bread. And now Jesus is saying to them, your fathers... That means the Jews in old times, they had that physical bread, but they died. It, it wasn't the real bread. But I am the bread which has come down out of heaven. That if you eat me, you will never die, but you'll have the eternal life. And you have to eat my flesh, and you have to drink my blood. Again, they didn't quite understand. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. The Jews are not allowed to eat human flesh. 
the Jews are not allowed to drink anybody's blood, what is he talking about? But he's going to unfold it as we continue. But he's trying to impress them with the fact that we need to eat spiritually. We need to take in something spiritually. Okay. Then you come to verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he shall live because of me. Then Roman numeral 3. The Lord's process to become our food. Okay, how will the Lord Jesus become our food? How does he become our food? Well, point A says he was incarnated. And again, we're going to just look at this verse. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. That's him. He came out of heaven. He came down to earth and he came as the bread of life. So he was incarnated. Then, point B. This shows the process of God, how he becomes our food. Point B is that he was slain. It says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. What does that mean? Well, when the blood and the flesh are separated, that always must mean death. So the Lord was incarnated, coming down out of heaven, and then because the flesh and the blood are separated, that means he was crucified or he died. Okay, then John 6, 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. What does this mean? Well, it means that the Lord, not only was he incarnated, not only did he die, but he must be resurrected because if you eat his flesh and you drink his blood, you can abide in him. He's alive and he can abide in you. So he's living, he's resurrected, and he's actually able to live in us. Okay, then D says, then, if, then what if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So again, you have, by implication, the Lord's ascending. So the Lord was incarnated, the Lord died for us, the Lord resurrected, the Lord ascended, and then John 6.63, point E says, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Okay. So what gives us life? What gives us life is the Spirit. The Lord, God, became a man. He died on the cross. He resurrected. He ascended. And he became the Spirit to come into us, to abide in us, and to give us life. And we have these verses. It is the Spirit who gives life. So the Lord, how do we eat Jesus? How can we eat the flesh of the Son of Man? How can we drink his blood? Not physically, of course, but spiritually. Spiritually, we eat Christ. He feeds us as the bread of life spiritually because he is the life-giving spirit. And so it's not a matter of anything physical. We are feeding on Christ in the spiritual sense. Okay, now just keep that in mind. Then how do we eat Christ Spiritually, Well, there's a number of ways, and we've touched them. We pray because he's a spirit. We call on the Lord, and I encourage all of us to, you know, I think Neil or Carrie once said, our mouth is connected to our spirit. There's something quite mysterious about our speaking that opens our heart to the Lord. So again, I encourage all of us, 
to practice speaking to the Lord, to practice calling on the Lord's name, to practice confessing our sins, to practice talking to the Lord, even just simply calling on the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. This is dynamic. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians that says, no man can say Jesus is Lord. Or you can translate it, no man can say Lord Jesus except in the Holy Spirit. So when you call Lord Jesus, you actually are feeding on the bread of life. You are drinking in and eating Christ as the bread of life. We can eat Christ every day and all day. And I would refer you back to that verse 657 under B, which says, As a living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, even he shall live because of me. This is a great verse. Okay, Carrie, uh, I I was listening to when Carrie shared this message. Carrie shared it a few years ago. He said, this is a five-star verse. And I like this. This is is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Because how can you, how can you live because of Christ? How can you live the Christian life? How can you live out Christ? I want to tell you something right now. You can't. You can't do it. You can't do it. And actually, you're not even supposed to do it. And you're really not even supposed to try to do it. But there's one thing you are supposed to do, and that is eat Christ. Because this verse says, He who eats me, he also shall live because of me. Our job is not to live Christ. Your job is not to live the Christian life. No, you can't live the Christian life. I I told this story too, but I'll tell you again. Before I was a Christian, I was an atheist, and I was reading all these atheist writers, and one of them was very much against Christ, but he kind of admired Christ begrudgingly because of what you read in the Gospels, you know? I mean, it's just, what what a life. What an incredible life he lived. But he was an atheist. But he said, uh, he said this. He said there was only one Christian, and he died on the cross. In other words, all these people, they're not really Christians. Jesus, he was pretty good. But none of these other people are worth anything. So there's only one Christian, he died on the cross. Okay, in my unbelief and my anti-God attitude, I wrote that on a card and put it under my glass on my desktop. Because I thought, okay, Jesus, he's okay, but the rest of these guys, I mean, they're all claiming to be Christians. I don't see them acting like Christians. I'm not acting like a Christian. Maybe Jesus was a Christian, I guess. But anyway, he's dead. I didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay, so I had this quote. There was only one Christian, and he died on the cross. Actually, after I got saved, I looked at that, and of course I took it out because it was by an evil person. But in one sense, in one sense, he was right. In one sense, he was right. There is only one Christian, and that's Jesus Christ. But the thing is, he lives in you. And if you eat him, he will live again in you. So our job is not living the Christian life. Don't do it. Don't try to do it. You're going to fall into religion. You're going to fall into Romans 7. You're going to fall into being a wretched man. But focus rather on eating Christ, calling on his name. 
Lord Jesus talking to him, and as we'll see, reading his word. Okay, because look, it goes on to say this. How is the Lord our food? The last point, he's a life-giving spirit, that's E. But F says, he is embodied in the word. Okay, look at these verses. John 6, 63, we've read the A part, which says it's a spirit who gives life. But the B part says, the words which I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The Lord is the spirit. And yes, we can call on him, Lord Jesus, and we need to. We can drink him. We can breathe him. We can confess our sins. We can talk to him. Uh, And these are ways you can drink him and you can eat him. But the most substantial way that you can eat the Lord is to read the Bible. To read the Bible. You must read the Bible. If you will, and, and I think you guys in Austin and some of the places had this freshman challenge, right? Where you were into the Gospel of John. Saints, have you read your Bible today? Well, you probably read a little bit here. But have you picked up the Bible to read it on your own? You start reading the Bible in a regular and scheduled way. And you will see that you are beginning to eat Christ as the bread of life. And there will be a change in your life. Not because you try. Because your trying, at best, produces a religious person. And at worst, produces a person in Romans 7, which is a kind of a religious person. But he's a religious person who lives a frustrated, miserable life. And that's where, it, that's where it all ends if you try and live Christ without feeding on Christ, without drinking Christ, without eating Christ. At best, you become a miserable religious person. At worst, you give up the Christian life. And people do that. It's hard. It's too hard. Just scrap it. Maybe I can, you can do it for 10 years, maybe 15. Maybe if you're stu- you know, really stubborn, you can go on for 20 or whatever, but then you throw in the towel, this is, I can't do it, I can't be it, I can't bear it, I can't do anything. Okay, the Lord needs to bring you to that point. So you give up on yourself, but he also needs to bring you to another point, and that is you need to be a person who reads the Bible, and who reads it with prayer, like we read about in our morning revival. You read it, and then you make a little prayer about it. You apply it. You know, whatever. Don't, and don't be locked up in your head about, oh, I can't pray because I don't know the full theological significance of every word and I'm probably going to make a mistake and God is going to whap me down when I make a mistake. You know, forget about that. You just pray any way that you understand it if it's from your heart. Okay, so in the beginning was the word. Lord, thank you for the beginning. I give you the beginning of this day. Lord, thank you that you're the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Lord, thank you. You're God. You just make your prayers based on the word. You just practice. Practice. When you ride a bicycle, the first time when you're a kid, you just have to practice. You fall down, you get up, you just practice. Saints, we need to read the Bible. Because the the Lord says here, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Okay? And actually, this word... When he says word, it doesn't, strictly speaking, mean the black and white. It's, I don't want to throw you off here. Because we need the black and white so that we have the other kind of word, and that is called the rainbow word. And that's the word the Lord speaks to us. And 
But you don't usually get that kind of a speaking from him unless you're in his written word. When you're in his written word and you pray about it, even though you make funny prayers, wrong prayers, mistaken prayers, theologically uh, malfunctioning prayers, (laughs) whatever, you begin a dialogue. And that word can begin to work in you. And you'd be surprised what can happen in your life. Things begin to change little by little, day by day. Okay? So he's embodied his word. Then John 6, 68, Peter says to the Lord, you know, because all this stuff that the Lord is telling these disciples about eat my flesh, drink my blood, this was so hard for these Jews. And some of them actually, apparently, at this point, abandoned Jesus. They thought maybe he went overboard. You know, eating the flesh of a human, drinking the blood of anybody, much less a human. This is like out of bounds. I mean, you, you multiply the loaves, I like that. You heal people, we like that. But this eating the flesh and drinking the blood, that's it. We're out of here. So I'm serious. You go read it. Some of them left him. They left Jesus because eating his flesh and drinking his blood is too hard. Then the Lord looks at these ones that are left, including Peter. And he says, basically, will you also leave? Do you want to go too? And then Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have nowhere to go. Because you have the words of eternal life. Wow, this is great. Peter's great. And Peter made a lot of mistakes, but when, he, when it came to it, he whacked it right out of there. <laughs> I mean, over the fence. <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. I mean, and we talked about today being offended, you know. We're all going to be offended. Believe me, you hang around here. You hang around anywhere, you're going to be offended. Because everybody, like, I remember Jose Luis one time would give us an example about bumping into each other with two by four. I mean, everybody offends everybody. But how do you leave? How do you leave the fellowship? Because the Lord is here and he has the words of eternal life. So we need to eat him. So never forget, you can't live the Christian life. Don't, I know probably Tim will throw a stone at me for saying this, don't try to live the Christian life. (laughs) No, you have to eat Jesus. (laughs) You can't do it. You can't be it. But you can eat him. Because John 6, 57 is a five-star verse. He that eats me, even he shall live by me. Saints, but eating. That is calling on his name. And if you've never practiced calling, I encourage you, practice just calling, oh Lord Jesus, oh Lord Jesus. No joke. In your car. Again, after I got saved, this friend of mine showed me this verse in in 1 Corinthians. And it says, no man can say, Jesus is Lord. Or The translation I saw said, no man can say, Lord Jesus, except in the Holy Spirit. I was a brand new believer. Not even baptized yet. And he says, look at this verse. You can get in the Holy Spirit anytime you want to by saying, Lord Jesus. I looked at the verse. I mean, what's, why not? So I would drive to work that summer and I would just say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. And I just would get filled with the Spirit. I mean, it was like dynamic. You've got to practice calling on the name of the Lord. Paul says the Lord is rich to all who call on his name. But we also need to read the word. And for reading the word, that's more substantial. You must 
realize that all of us need a schedule. I don't know what your schedule is, but we need some kind of schedule where we try and read a chapter a day or we have some kind of plan. You may fail. Of course you'll fail. But you don't just leave it up into the air. Don't just leave it into the uh, stratosphere. Make a little plan. I'm going to make a plan to read at least one chapter of the New Testament every day. Let me tell you, you do that and you will begin to see a change in your life. Because the Lord came to feed the hungry world. Okay, now one thing I'm gonna, I want to show you with, where we go to these daily, these characteristics of eating. Okay, I'm not going to even look at all the verses. But daily, we need to do it every day. Two is small, because when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, it said that the manna, and the Lord said he is the real manna, it, the, the manna was small. So don't despise even reading a verse from time to time. You just open up your word or your PDA and you read a verse. Therefore, since we have these promises, I just open randomly. Therefore, since we have these promises, Lord, thank you for all your promises. I'm not sure what he's talking about there, but anyway, thank you for all your promises. Let us cleanse ourselves. Oh, Lord, cleanse me, Lord. Lord, I don't want to be dirty anymore. You just make a little prayer. And if you're wrong, it's no problem. The Lord loves to hear, hear you pray. Okay, small. These small things. Then, I want to just tell you this little story. Because the next verse is in Matthew. This is a great way to end. Well, I'm going to come back to that. Slow. We'll end up with that. Slow, and that is day by day. Just little by little. This is a Christian life. It's just day by day, little by little. It's not the big things. They don't normally happen. They just, maybe every now and then. But mainly it's just little by little, day by day. Schedule, we already mentioned that. Hidden and personal. This is a big thing in Matthew. Hidden and personal. Yes, we need the corporate. Yes, you need to come to gatherings, small groups, clusters on your campus, in the meeting hall or wherever. Come together, be with the saints. But, if you never read the Bible, pray, and call on the Lord by yourself, I'm very concerned for you. Because everything in this universe is nearly with two aspects. Up and down, night and day, east and west, male and female, everything. Uh, you know, negative and positive. There's, there's a corporate side to the Christian life, and we need it. But we need a personal side, too. You must have some time when you read the Bible, and you pray, and nobody sees. This causes your roots to go down. Okay? Then... Uh, mysterious, incorporate. Okay, now I'm going to go back to this small thing and then we're going to end with this. And that is, look at these verses. Talk about small. Talk about small. Jesus, he, he, he came down to be a small man. The boy was a little boy. And there was just a little something. But this met the need. Now look at these verses, Matthew. Okay, this is the story of a woman who was not a Jew, but she was a Syrophoenician. She was some other race, a Gentile. You know, the Jews have a simple system. Jews, and then the rest of the world. Okay? 1% Jews, 20% Nobel Prize, that's okay, but 1% Jews, and 20%, I mean, the rest of the whole world. So, if you're not a Jew, you're just a dog. Basically, you're a dog. Okay? So, most of us in this room, we're just dogs. Okay, so this woman came, and she was not a Jew. And she worshipped the Lord, because she had a child that was sick, Something like that. She was asking the Lord to help her. And she said, 
help me, Lord. Look, that's verse 25. Help me. And she called him Lord. She wasn't a Jew. Then Jesus answered her. Look, I want you to look. You've got to look at this. You're going to think I'm making this up. Jesus answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. He calls the woman a dog. This is the savior of the world. <laughs> what are you doing, Lord? You're calling this woman a dog. Okay, so what, and he calls her not just a dog, he calls her a little dog. She's not even a German shepherd. <laughs> She's just a little yapper. <laughs> okay, he calls her a little dog. And look at the woman. If he, if he had said that to me, I would have said, listen, well, I'm a big dog. <laughs> Don't call me a little dog. I may be a dog, but I'm not that little. But she didn't say that. She was good. She was smart. She said she agreed with him. Listen to what she says. She said, yes, Lord. For even the little dogs. Okay, you're calling me a little dog. I'm not arguing. But even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. In other words, I'm asking you to help me. And the Lord said, no, it's not good. I come for the Jews. He was actually, because he had a purpose in all this. And he said, I, I can't, you know, basically I can't help you. It's not good to throw the children's bread. That's the children of Israel. I can't just throw their bread to a little dog. You're a Gentile. Again, this will blow your mind. But the woman says to him, yes, Lord. But even little dogs like me, they get to eat the little crumbs that fall off the table. So is there anything for me, a little dog? And the Lord, look at verse 28. He said, woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you wish. And her daughter was healed from that hour. So, yes. The Lord, he was will, he's willing to be a little crumb. Just a little crumb. And all of us are Gentiles. We're sinners. We're dogs. Even we're little dogs. But we can eat a little bit of Christ. And he is happy to be a crumb. And in a sense, we have to say, okay, Lord, I'm a dog. I'm a sinner. I'm a poor person. I'm a pitiful person. I don't have the right to demand you to appeal to you of anything, but don't even little dogs get a little something? The Lord says, great is your faith. I'm a crumb. I'm a little bitty crumb, and you can eat me. So what a great story, and this shows us how the little, how the Lord was willing to be so small that he's just a crumb falling under the table for us little dogs to eat. You know, and the Bible is a great book. It's a profound book. Who could write such a book? Who could write such a book? Who could have such thoughts? The triune God himself. Okay, saints, we're right up to our time. And uh, anyway, this is the hungry world. People are hungry. And we don't have much. But we have just a little bread. And we're just a little boy. But anyway, we lift up our eyes and we say, Lord, feed the people. And you'd be surprised how the Lord can feed people through even you and through all of us. Okay, uh, I think our time is up.